0: Well, good morning to you all. It's good to be with you uh, this morning, and I'm honored to uh, be here as a representative of Cornerstone Fellowship Bible Church in Riverside, and I bring you greetings from our congregation to yours, and I do want you to know that we as a staff at Cornerstone are praying for the Lugg family and uh, praying uh, for you as a church uh, during this time, praying that God will show himself faithful and loving and strong uh, to little Owen and, and to you all. The title of my message this morning is Sober Counsel for a Good Harvest from Galatians chapter 6, uh, verses 7 through 10. And I would invite you to go ahead and turn there. Galatians chapter 6, Verses 7 through 10. In these verses, the Apostle Paul says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And it is my blessing to be your servant uh, this morning and to bring uh, this text uh, to you. Let me begin by... Uh, giving you a little bit of perspective on where the burden for this message comes from. Several years ago, a popular Christian writer wrote some helpful words about the Christian life that ended up meaning a lot to me. In one of his books, he wrote these words. Do you know why some Christians make great strides in their walk with God while others are stagnant? Have you ever wondered if there is a godliness gene that some people are born with? Of course, there isn't. The difference between the person who grows in holiness and the one who doesn't isn't a matter of personality, upbringing, or gifting. The difference is what each has planted into the soil of his or her heart and soul. So... Holiness isn't a mysterious spiritual state that only an elite few can reach. It's more than an emotion or a resolution. Holiness is a harvest. When I read these words back in 2007, I highlighted them immediately and I knew that they would be useful to me in my walk with the Lord and in my ministry to others. In the years that followed, I quoted those words a number of times in sermons that I preached to our congregation at Cornerstone. More personally, I often found myself thinking of the words, holiness is a harvest, at times when I was personally being tempted to give up the fight. And I've also spoken those words. Holiness is a harvest in many counseling sessions over the last 14 years. These helpful and hopeful words that I read to you a few moments ago were written in 2005 by Joshua Harris in his book, Not Even a Hint. So you can imagine the conflict that... I felt two years ago when I read an Instagram post by Joshua Harris that many of you also read. In that post he writes, I have undergone a massive shift in regard to my faith in Jesus. The biblical phrase for this is falling away. By all the measurements that I have for defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. He says a number of other things in his post, one of which is as follows. To the LGBTQ plus community, I want to say that I'm sorry for the views that I taught in my books and as a pastor regarding sexuality. I regret standing against marriage equality for not affirming you and your place in the church. Knowing that Christians would be grieving Over his abandonment of the faith, at the end of the post, he writes a word to those persons and says, to my Christian friends, I can't join you in your mourning. I don't view this moment negatively. I feel very much alive and awake and surprisingly hopeful. I believe that all shall be well and all manner of thing shall be well. A week later, he posted pictures of himself at a pride parade in Vancouver, Canada. That Instagram post by Joshua Harris hit me like a body blow. Over the next two weeks, I found myself thinking about Joshua Harris constantly. I wondered how he could fall away from Jesus Christ I wondered if I had it in me to do the same thing. I found myself wondering if I will finish well or if I will end up making shipwreck of my faith. I also kept thinking about the words that Joshua Harris wrote about holiness being a harvest, words that had always given me so much hope. And I found my thoughts repeatedly going back to Galatians 6, the passage from which Joshua Harris had derived that truth. This morning, I'd like for us to look at this passage in Galatians 6, a passage written by the Apostle Paul, a man who never fell away from Jesus Christ, a man who finished well, and a man who is right now enjoying a wonderful harvest from God in heaven. And as we look at this passage, I want us to observe three instructions, three instructions that we should follow if we wish to enjoy a good harvest from God. How many of you want to enjoy a good harvest from God? Raise your hand. All right, so this will help you then. All right, number one, be sure about the law of sowing and reaping in God's economy. Be sure about the law of sowing and reaping in God's economy. In verse 7, Paul says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. Paul is very burdened that we not be deceived about this truth a truth that comes to us with a warning. The warning is that God is not mocked. The Greek word translated mocked here comes from the Greek word for nose, and it means to turn up the nose at someone or to sneer at them. Paul is saying here that people may indeed mock God, But they will never succeed in that mockery of God. People may scoff at God and turn up their noses at him and his word, but everyone who mocks God will be brought low by God. No one in eternity will say, I mocked God without repentance and I got away with it. Nobody. Why is this so? At the end of verse 7, Paul says, for whatever a man sows this, he will also reap. This is the law of God's universe. And this law can cut in either of two directions that Paul gives us here. On the one hand, in verse 8, Paul states this promise. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. To sow to your own flesh is to do the bidding of your flesh. And if you're wondering what the flesh is in this context, it's that rebel part of you that always is at war with God, that always wants to do the opposite of what God Wants you to do. And even as Christians, sadly, we still have this fleshly principle within us that we must say no to every day, right? Paul tells us about the flesh in Galatians 5, telling us the kinds of things that emanate from our flesh if we give way to our flesh, beginning in verse 19. He tells us that the deeds of the flesh are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, and boy, are we seeing a lot of those today, even in the church, envying, drunkenness, carousing, And things like these. Our flesh within us is that part of us that pulls us toward these works of the flesh. And you sow to your flesh every time you give way to any of these works of the flesh in your thoughts or in your actions. And if you sow to the flesh in this way, Paul promises you that you will from the flesh reap corruption. And this word corruption speaks of death and decay. This is the harvest of a guilty conscience and a hardened heart. It's the harvest of painful earthly consequences that your actions set in motion It's the harvest of squandered opportunities that you can never get back. It's the harvest of broken relationships and regret. It's the harvest of enslavement to sins and addictions from which you cannot seem to find escape. For those who never repent of their sins and who never believe in Jesus, it will be the harvest of eternity in the lake of fire reaping the judgment of God for all eternity for what a person sowed to the flesh in this life. If you sow to the flesh without repentance, you will reap corruption. And the worst corruption may be you. You yourself may become your own Worst nightmare. So consider yourself warned. We should also realize that sometimes a yielding to a particular sin is in itself a harvest of many prior moments of entertaining that lust that now culminates in that sin that we've just given into. For example, a person committing their first act of adultery is in that moment experiencing a harvest of a 100,000 earlier occasions in which they have sown to their flesh a compromise here and a sinful look there, a sinful thought entertained in secret, a careless word spoken, a dark secret kept, sins unconfessed, a sinful entertainment enjoyed, All such sowings to the flesh end up shaping that person's soul in such a way that they are now willing to take the plunge into adultery, and then the adultery itself will lead to an even greater harvest of corruption. To use another example, an angry explosion at someone is often, in and of itself, a harvest of many earlier moments of entertaining bitter thoughts against that particular person. For example, and I'm talking to husbands and wives here, if you have spent your day rehearsing all the ways that your spouse has let you down and fallen short, if you have spent the day rehearsing the wrongs that they have done against you, and then they walk in the room and do yet another thing wrong, provoking you, to explode in anger at them, that explosion coming out of your mouth is in itself a harvest of the many seeds that you have sowed to the flesh throughout that day. Many of the seeds we sow to the flesh are sown in our thoughts and then expressed in our words and in our actions. So guard your heart and be careful what you allow yourself to think about and to dwell upon lest you find yourself shocked at the harvest of corruption manifesting itself in your words and in your actions. If you sow to the flesh, Paul says, you will from the flesh reap corruption. In contrast to all of that mess, Paul gives us a positive promise in the second half of verse 8, Look what he says, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. In other words, if you follow the leading of the Holy Spirit contrary to the dictates of your flesh, then from that very Spirit you will reap eternal life. If you walk according to the Spirit, you will find the fruit of the Spirit manifesting itself in your life. And according to Galatians 5, and 23, Paul tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Who wouldn't want these things in their life? Paul is saying here that if you allow the Spirit to have his way with you, if you saturate your life with the Spirit-inspired scriptures and the gospel that the scriptures present, then you will reap eternal life and all the good things that are inside of that eternal life. You will experience the richness of Knowing God and enjoying a relationship with him, you will experience life and vitality in relationship with God. You will have a conscience that is unstained and relationships that your sin has not ruined. You will find yourself with a growing energy for ministry to other people. And you will have the blessing of lives that you've touched and impacted for God's kingdom. And you will know the joys of eternal life in heaven with God forever. Do you want those things? I think we all do. So what will it be for you? Will you sow to the spirit or will you sow to the flesh? Whatever you choose, expect the outcome that Paul predicts here. You cannot plant a carrot seed and expect it to produce a watermelon. And likewise, you cannot sow to the flesh and expect it to produce holiness. You must sow to the Spirit because, after all, holiness is a harvest. And Paul is telling you that the way to reap that harvest of holiness is to sow to the Spirit. And let me encourage you with the thought that it is never too late to do this. If you have spent years of your life sowing to the flesh, you can begin sowing to the Spirit today by repenting of your sins and embracing the atonement that Jesus offers to you at the cross. If you have never believed in Jesus, I would plead with you to believe in him today, to call upon his name for salvation and he will save you and he will forgive you of all of your sins and make you right with God forever. Calling upon the name of Jesus in a spirit of faith and repentance is the single most powerful act of sowing to the spirit that you can ever engage in. And that act alone can produce an eternally good harvest. Amen? Think about what Christ has done to make this possible for us. The Bible teaches us that we were all sinners who have sown to the flesh and deserve an eternal harvest of death and judgment, yet Christ allowed himself to be crucified on a cross in order to reap while on the cross the judgment of God that we have sown so that we can reap the salvation that he sowed through his righteous life and through his death. The law that Paul states in Galatians 6-7 still stands as true. For every sowing, there is a reaping. But we can be forever grateful that Jesus inserted himself into that equation and allowed himself to reap the wrath of God for what we sowed so that we can reap the harvest of salvation that he sowed with his righteous life. That's amazing. This is why a broken sinner can repent of their lifetime of sins and believe in Jesus Christ and experience an eternally good harvest in heaven. This is why a sinful tax collector can beat his breast and say, God, be merciful to me, the sinner, and go home justified. This is why a thief on the cross, being crucified next to Jesus, who was mocking Jesus moments earlier, can repent and say, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus can say, today you will be with me, In paradise. Jesus could say this to the thief because he was in that very moment on the cross reaping in his own person what the thief had sowed, so that the thief could reap in paradise what Jesus had sowed. Even as believers, when you give into the flesh and fail to walk according to the Spirit, you sow to the Spirit every time you repent. You do this delicious thing that we call repentance. And you soak in God's grace, which Christ has reaped for you. And you bathe in Christ's atoning blood, and you get back into the Word, and you pray and keep walking in community with your brothers and sisters in the Lord, don't ever stop doing that, no matter how many times you stumble and fall, because, after all, holiness is a harvest that comes to those who never give up. As Solomon says in Proverbs 24, verse 16, the righteous man never falls. Is that what it says? No, the righteous man falls seven times, and rises again. That's the definition of a righteous person. So if you want to enjoy a good harvest from God, then be very sure about the law of sowing and reaping in God's economy. But there's another thing that we must do. This brings us to the second instruction that we should follow if we wish to enjoy an eternally good harvest from God. And that is number two, do not lose heart in doing good knowing that you will reap a good harvest. Do not lose heart in doing good, knowing that you will reap a good harvest. Listen to Paul's counsel in verse 9. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. There's a reason that Paul tells us as Christians not to lose heart in doing good, and that is because he knows how easy it is for us to lose heart in doing good. Sometimes we lose heart in doing good because we see so little fruit coming from our efforts. We pour our lives into someone only to see them go astray. We reach out to a wayward soul and pray daily for them, only to see them becoming more entrenched in their sin. We seek to live a life of obedience to God, expecting blessing to come into our lives as a result. But that blessing that we're expecting doesn't come, and in its place comes hardship that leaves us reeling. Sometimes we spend time in the word of God and we pray thinking that it will help us to have victory over some besetting sin only to see ourselves stumbling into that very sin once again. And in such moments, it's easy to lose heart. But when we are defeated and when we are discouraged, Paul is telling us that we should join him in continuing to do the right thing if we have failed, then we should repent of our sins and get back in the word and get on our knees and keep praying and keep looking to Christ and walking in community with others and don't give up. Do not grow weary in doing good. Sometimes we grow weary of doing the good thing and start resorting to the ugly thing. We stop doing the forgiving thing and we start doing the vindictive thing. We stop doing the patient thing and start resorting to anger. We stop doing the gracious thing and start spewing bitterness because it just doesn't seem that doing the gracious thing was working. So we stop doing the righteous thing and start doing the sinful thing in order to produce the outcome that we feel entitled to. It's easy for all of us to grow weary in doing good, but Paul says do not grow weary in doing the good thing. Why? Look at verse 10. For in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. The due time that Paul is speaking about here includes particular moments of time On this earth, if you hold on and keep doing the right thing, there will be moments of reaping, of victory and blessing that will come to you eventually, even in this life. And I know many of you have experienced that. We have a woman uh, in our congregation at Cornerstone who was once addicted to smoking 30 cigarettes a day This was clearly a spiritual bondage for her that she knew was not pleasing to God. And uh, she tried many times to quit smoking, but every time she tried, she failed. Sometimes she would go a few days without smoking and would end up becoming so irritable without her cigarettes that her husband, her Christian husband, would literally go to the store and buy a pack of cigarettes for her and then come home and toss them at her and plead with her to smoke them just so he could have peace in the house. But through those moments of stumbling, this sister never lost hope. She kept getting back into the word of God on her good days and on her bad days and praying and she let her failures drive her into deeper community with others in the church. In fact, one day she and her husband met with a handful of us from the church and asked us to pray over them. The husband was ready this time to stand with his wife no matter how tough things got. And in that moment, several of us made a covenant with this woman and her husband, that we would pray for them and journey through this battle together with them. I told this woman that from that day forward, I would go a day without coffee for every cigarette that she smoked. That was a radical step of faith on my part, (laughs) which shows you how committed I was to her victory, and it ensured that I was motivated to pray daily her because I absolutely did not want to do without my coffee. Well, after this little meeting that happened around the dining room table of our home, this woman never smoked another cigarette again. A lifetime habit was broken. The days that followed were not easy for her, but God gave her so wonderfully the victory. And this past October, This woman sent a text to my wife and to me, celebrating her 25 years of freedom over this area of bondage in her life. The question is, why did that freedom become hers? Because holiness is a harvest that comes to those who keep sowing to the spirit. This woman is now a spiritual matriarch in our congregation, looked up to by so many young women who are often surprised to learn that she ever even had that struggle 25 years ago. I know that some of you have had similar experiences of victory in your own life, or maybe you haven't had as many of those victories as you would wish for either way, Holiness is a harvest that comes to those who refuse to grow weary in doing good, knowing and being driven by the belief that they will reap in due time. Just keep repenting when you fall short. Keep reading and memorizing Scripture, even on your worst days of failure. Keep preaching the gospel to yourself. Keep walking in community with your brothers and sisters in the Lord And keep your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, and you will reap in due time. If you do not grow weary in doing good, there will be many moments on earth when you experience the blessing of a good reaping in due time. But the ultimate due time, as we know, is in heaven, right? When Christ says, well done, good and faithful servant, enter and to the joy of your master. Heaven is a place of eternal harvest, a place of eternal blessing and rest. Eye has not seen nor has ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who loved him and gave their lives to sowing to the Spirit and doing good. One day, this final harvest will come, and and when it does come, we're all going to look back, and we're going to wish that we had sowed to the Spirit more lavishly. This realization ought to drive us to be lavish sowers now, sowing to the Spirit while we have the opportunity to do so. And this actually brings us to the third and the final thing that we should do if we wish to enjoy a good harvest from God Number three, do good to all. Do good to all while you have opportunity, especially to your church family. Do good to all while you have opportunity, especially to your church family. Listen to Paul's concluding counsel in verse 10. He says, so then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people while we have opportunity. Paul's language here implies that the opportunity for doing good to others is one day going to draw to a close. One day, we're going to breathe our last. And it could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be 30 years from now. But one day, our opportunity for doing good on earth, doing good to others, will be gone. And Paul is saying, do good to others while you have the chance. And even if you yourself have another 30 or 40 or 50 years to live and do good to others, you never know how much time the people in your life have left. It could be that today might be your last day to show love to someone before they leave this earth. Do good to them while you have the opportunity while they are still here. I recently received a text from a a wife in our church who was grieving the passing of her husband of 33 years whom she misses terribly. She ended her text to me by giving me this advice. She said, Milton, always love and appreciate your wife because you never know how much time you have together. That's good advice. And that's Paul's advice here in Galatians 6. Do good. Do good to all while you have the opportunity because one day that opportunity will be gone And it may be gone sooner than you imagine. To whom should we do good? Paul says in verse 10 to all people. And that means all people to the saved and to the unsaved, to our friends and to our enemies. We are to do good to those who love us and do good to those who despise us. We are to do good to those who are Republicans. And to those who are Democrats, to those who passionately think we should get vaccinated. And we are to do good to those who passionately think that we shouldn't. We are to do good to all, Paul says. But while we do good to all, Paul ends verse 10 by saying, and especially to those, especially to those who are of the household Faith. Our brothers and sisters in the local church should be the first and the primary objects of our dedicated service as we care for one another and bear each other's burdens. Yes, we love and we care for the lost, but we should especially love and care for our brothers and sisters in the household of faith, loving each other well. is one of our most powerful gifts to the world. For Jesus said, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another, right? If we want to impact our community for Christ, there are many things that we should do, like engaging the lost and Declaring the gospel to them, but one of the main things that we should also do is do good to each other. It's one of the things that the world most needs to see in us. And we should never underestimate the evangelistic impact of us caring for one another and doing good to each other in this way. In his book, Evangelism as a Lifestyle. Jim Peterson tells a story about a Brazilian young man whose name was Mario, who was a Marxist intellectual and a political activist in Brazil when Jim met him. Jim Peterson started a relationship with Mario and had four years of weekly Bible studies with him until one day Mario believed in Christ for salvation. Several years later, Mario was talking to Jim and he said, Hey, Jim, do you know what it was that caused me to accept Christ? And Jim said, No, I don't. What, what was it? And Jim figured that Mario was going to say that it was Jim's in depth teaching from the Bible that persuaded him to accept Christ. But Mario didn't say anything about that, though I am sure those Bible studies were absolutely important. Instead, here's what he said to Jim Peterson. He said, remember that first time I stopped by your house? We were on our way someplace together and I had a bowl of soup with you and your family. As I sat there observing you, your wife, your children, and how you related to each other, I asked myself, when will I have a relationship like this with my fiance? When I realized the answer was never, I concluded I had to become a Christian for the sake of my own survival. What this young intellectual saw was a relationship between Christian family members. He saw how they related to each other. He saw that they were good to each other, and he was undone by what he saw. Imagine that. Imagine us doing good to one another in our homes and in our church in such a way that when a non-believer sees us relating to each other and doing good to each other, they suddenly see their own spiritual poverty and decide that they simply must become a Christian for the sake of their own survival. That in itself is a part of the good harvest that comes from following Paul's counsel here in Galatians 6. So let's give heed this morning to these sobering and encouraging words from God through the Apostle Paul here in Galatians 6. Let's not be discouraged by those men and women who give up the fight and abandon the faith. Let us weep for them, and let's pray that God might graciously return them to himself or save them if they were never saved in the first place But let's keep our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ and thank God for all the ways that Jesus sowed to the Spirit and obeyed God perfectly all the way to the cross so that we can reap the bountiful harvest of salvation that he has sown. Even us gathered here this morning is a part of the harvest that we're enjoying because of what Jesus sowed. Part of the bounty of that harvest, I think the greatest part of the bounty of that harvest that comes to us through Jesus is Jesus himself, a Savior who comes to us every single day in all of his fullness, a Savior who never lets us down and who always stands ready to forgive us whenever we let him down a Savior of infinite grace, a Savior who gives us the strength that we need and whose grace motivates us to lavishly sow to the Spirit so that we might reap lavishly from the Spirit. Because after all, holiness is a harvest that comes lavishly through Jesus and through Jesus alone. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord God, you are, you are good to give us your word, to give us a passage like this that speaks to us uh, so practically. I preach this message uh, with a heavy heart uh, and personal conviction just because in my life as a 57-year-old, I am reaping a mixed harvest. I have sowed seeds to the flesh, and I see the harvest of that, and I have sowed seeds to the Spirit, and am enjoying aspects of the harvest of that. And I know that the harvest that comes from sowing to the Spirit The joy is so intense that I find myself in some moments looking into the face of Jesus saying, wow, this is so amazing. Jesus, this is what you were fighting for all along when you told me to sow to the Spirit. These words in this text are coming from the heart of a Savior who is literally fighting for our maximum pleasure in giving us this counsel. What I am sharing this morning from this passage, Lord, are things that I wish I would have known when I was a teenager, when I was a young man. I pray for the youth in this room that they would recognize that this is the sowing time in their life where they could sow to the flesh or to the spirit. And I pray that you would just give them a wisdom beyond their years and that they would, on their good days and bad days, their days of victory and defeat, that they would sow to the Spirit in their thoughts and through the disciplines of grace that they engage in, They would do this sowing to the Spirit hour by hour and day by day, week by week and month by month, year by year and decade by decade with full confidence that what a person sows, they will reap. And so I'm going to sow lavishly To the spirit. Even though I may look around right now. I don't see a lot of harvest. As an 18 year old. I'm going to keep sowing. Yes I'm having a bad day today. A day of defeat. But I'm going to get back in the word. And I'm going to pray. And I'm going to repent. I'm going to memorize scripture. I'm going to keep sowing to the spirit. Knowing that. I will reap in due time. Holiness, Lord, is not something that comes to us in a moment, though I think we all would wish that it would. Holiness is a harvest that comes as a byproduct of heeding a text like what we've looked at today. So I pray for myself and for all those who are assembled here today that you would make us lavish sowers to the spirit and that we might have the joy of a great and a good ever expanding harvest from you that emerges as a result. If there's anyone here today Lord that has not believed in you they're outside of faith at this point that they would be drawn to the Savior even in this moment and that they would begin sowing to the Spirit by crying out to Jesus and believing in Him. May they so see your beauty that they would consider it an intolerable suffering to live one more minute apart from you. We ask, Lord, all of these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said,